Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor here at our supporting sponsor of ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is December 14th, 2022, and, and Ash 2022 is wrapping up. So I'm going to highlight some of the, uh, the notable uh, abstracts and presentations from, uh, from this uh, past week's American Society of Hematology meeting. I did not attend, but I was on Twitter, which is like... Uh, well, it's not like attending, but um, was able to read the abstracts and see some updated results. Um, most of the stuff I'm talking about has not been published yet, so um, you know further details, analysis uh, needed for many of these after publication. But stuff to be looking for is kind of what uh, we're going to run through here on today's podcast. Uh, first, I want to talk about what people are calling the double Dono study or Dono double study. Uh, this was a German uh, AML study where they had two primary questions. First question uh, is 60 milligrams per meter squared or 90 milligrams per meter squared uh, the same? Does it matter in induction, in a seven plus three induction regimen for AML? Second question for those um, who have a good response. So not a complete response, but a good response, meaning you know basically on morphology at, at a day 15 bone marrow, when they look at the cytology, less than 5% blast. Those are good responders. And those folks, do they need a second transplant? Right? That was the question. Now, uh, in, in my practice and where I've worked, uh, we have not routinely done a second induction for good responders, but that is much more common in Europe. So it uh, makes sense they would ask this question. They enrolled patients from 2014 to 2022. Long period of time, more than 800 patients uh, enrolled. Median age was 52, 88% de novo AML. So relatively young cohort here. Um, from uh, favorability, 37% favorable cytogenics, 46% intermediate, 17% poor. Uh, slight imbalance with more folks in the Dono 90 study by almost 10%, 42% versus 32% with NPM1 positivity, uh, which would give them maybe a better prognosis there. Um, all right, so they are randomized to um, everyone's getting 7 plus 3. And are you getting Dono 90 or Dono 60 for those three days? All right, so the first endpoint is looking at good responders um, on that day 15 bone marrow with blast less than 5% by cytology. Uh, the abstract that uh, was uh, published before the presentation uh, based on an, a planned interim analysis of 218 people, it's like 25% basically, uh, they saw that. Good responders occurred in 42% with Dono 60 and 90 uh, or 49% with Dono 90, which they say a p-value is 0.34. I don't know what the power is. Numerically, there's more good responders than Dono 90. Uh, that clearly was within whatever their their non-inferiority margin was that threshold, which I don't know. Has been published. Maybe it wasn't in the presentation. Um, you know, an absolute difference is 7% in favor of Dono 90, but they said that was you know clinically not significant. And so the, the, the plan then was they suspended further enrollment on Dono 90. Everyone else afterwards got Dono 60, which means when you look at the final results here for like overall survival or something like that, you have 157 patients who received Dono 90 and, and more than 700 who received Dono 60. All right. So that kind of looked at the, the first question there. And we'll come back to that. Um, well, we'll talk about it now. So if you look at complete response then, so not just the day 15, but you see maybe a day 28 bone marrow, complete response, looking at everything. The complete response rates, if you got, and this was presented, uh, I saw the slide, uh, Dono 90 was 98.6% if you were a good responder. 
compared to 91.2% if you got down of 60. So uh, that's just looking at the good responder. So you'd expect those CR rates to be higher. P-value 0.08, not statistically significant. Don't know what the power is, but you've got more than 800 people. Um, seems to be, uh, if there is a difference, you know, you're still getting more than 90% with down of 60 there. Um, it, those who are not good responders, so they had more than 5% blast of their day, 15 bone marrow, you're looking at complete response rates uh, from 66.2% with Dono 90 to 61.9% with Dono 60, p-value 0.57. So um, I, I, I would guess that if, you know, you've got a lot of people here, uh, you know, a lot of patients total between here, you know, more than 800. Now you split that when you do good responders, bad responders, uh, or non-good responders, you split your alpha. Seems like there's maybe a bit more CR here in the Dono 90, although not, um, you know, not still significant. Again, don't know what the power is here. With um, even though you got 800 patients, you've got two primary endpoints, and you're splitting some stuff here. Um, all right. Anyway, second question: For those who are good responders, is there value in a second transplant? So there were 389 folks who were good responders, about 45% of the whole trial population. They were then randomized to either no second induction or seven plus three, again, a second induction. If you got 90 milligrams up front of your donor, and you got 45 in second induction, same uh, protocol they used in the Fernandez study in NEJM 2009, that would give you then 405 milligrams uh, per meter squared cumulative lifetime dose of donorubicin then. So you, have to, you can't do dono 90 and then 90 again, get you too much. Uh, and then if you got Dono 60, you got 60 again in reinduction for a cumulative lifetime Dono dose after that second induction of 360 milligrams per meter squared. CR and complete response with incomplete hematologic recovery rates, virtually identical, 85.2 versus 85.6%. Uh, no difference. Um, they're not powered to look at this, but when you look at three-year relapse-free survival, uh, 60% with the double induction, 51% with single, uh, the overall survival curves are very similar with maybe a numeric advantage towards Dono 60, even though the relapse-free survival favors uh, uh, the double induction. If you get the double induction, you're still getting copper, about, you're still average, you know, you're getting a, close to the same amount of total non-remissant as those who get 90 uh, and got double induction. So, sort of a classic AML study in that there are a lot of caveats, um, which makes looking at the totality of the data here, uh, very tricky. Uh, of course, overall survival we'd love to see. Uh, that's going to be somewhat dependent on access to allogeneic stem cell transplant in these patients. Also, 2014, 2012, 2022, when this enrollment was happening, this is when we got venetoclax. This is when we got our IDH1 and 2 inhibitors. This is when we got the Ratify study and the overall survival benefit with Mivastarin. I uh, don't know uh, how many folks got th had access to that sort of treatment. My, I would assume these patients got really good care in, in Germany, and we'll revisit that uh, a little bit later. All right. So, what the people uh, seem to be saying is, all right, this kind of confirms the practice that many American centers have done, which is to not do a double, a second induction for people that have a good response afterwards. Uh, I think people will still debate Dono 90 versus Dono 60. One of the things that's kind of hard to tease that out, of course, in younger patients is where that question exists is, um, you know, waiting on the cytogenics and everything else to determine if you can wait for starting induction. So um, always good, good to have this study. It's a nice study, adds more information, um, should make decision-making better. 
Uh, but it's you know still some challenging decisions to be made here with so much, so many different studies, so many different designs of studies as well. All right, the next big study is the ecog akron E1910 study. This is looking at blenitumab in ALL. Uh, now we already know that if you get your induction, you know your intensification in uh, in ALL, uh, Philadelphia chromosome negative ALL, and you have you still have measurable residual disease. You know. Maybe you're in complete remission, but we still can see, you know, cytogenetic abnormalities from your, your ALL. We know that blenitumab is better than chemo as consolidation of those folks. This is asking the question, what about those folks who have no detectable minimum residual disease, MRD negative? Well, let's say it takes those folks after, um, you know, a BFM-like induction regimen, then intensification with high-dose methotrexate, CNS prophylaxis, plus or minus rituximab if you're CD20 positive for BALL. And they're randomized to either four cycles of consolidation, then on a maintenance, that's the control arm. The experimental arm is three cycles of, um, uh, sorry, two cycles of blenitumab, and then consolidation chemo for three cycles, then blend for a cycle, then chemo for a cycle, then blenitumab for a cycle, which sounds confusing, but really what it is, is four cycles of blenitumab intermixed with four cycles of consolidation chemo, right? So it's basically adding four cycles of blenitumab in a in um, kind of a front-loaded schedule to the four cycles of consolidation chemo. Uh, they show an overall survival benefit with a hazard ratio of 0.42. Again, really far away from one, even less than 0.5, 95% confidence interval, 0.24 to 0.75 p-value, 0.003. You see these Katmeyer curves, um, the, uh, the chemo, the consolidation only arm looks like um, a fun, slide goes downhill somewhat steep the blenitumab curve looks like a you know like a kid slide kind of starts to go downhill then it plateaus and, and really doesn't have much of a slope to it um so yeah pretty much establishes blenitumab standard of care here um in our mrd negative all folks which was already established in the mrd positive all folks all right, uh, continuing, uh, now some trends. All right, see, these, I'm not gonna go into the details of this, but this kind of reinforces stuff that we have already uh, heard, right, and, and prior publications. So uh, there has been a move away from cytotoxic chemo in Philadelphia, positive ALL, using blenitumab plus first disatinib. There's a phase two study, uh, I think this is from the NDA, the MD Anderson folks of Ponatinib, uh, where they get are getting blenitumab for five cycles, uh, Ponatinib 30 milligrams until complete, um, uh, um, complete um, till till CMR till they get their uh, molecular response, and then going down to 50 milligrams of Ponatinib to decrease the toxicity. Uh, I, it was I could not actually find slides from this. Um, no one took pictures of it. It's not in the abstract. Some of these patients could have received chemo before, right? This is kind of the trend is chemo-free treatment for Philly positive AL. Don't know how many folks got chemo. At least one of them died on study from uh, from hypovolemia secondary to chemo in the past is what they said. Um, uh, they got kind of standard CNS intrathecal prophylaxis. Um, 40 patients, small study, uh, but with a median hope of 15 months, so just over a year, they're estimating the two-year overall survival and event-free survival at 95%, extrapolating the folks who have been on study for two years. Need to see more long-term follow-up for that and publication uh, for that. But 
continuing to trend that for these folks that are fairly positive ALL, um, that they can do really well uh, without cytotoxic chemo, it's looking like. All right, so con continuing the trend there. That's just a phase two study, not a comparative study. More positive data about post-transplant cyclophosphamide uh, uh, and decrease in the rates of, of graft-versus-host disease in allogenic stem cell transplant patients. Moving closer to standard of care for everyone. Sounds like not a transplant anymore, but that's what people have talked about. Um, more data questioning the benefit of, of uh, autologous, um, you know, high-dose chemotherapy with melphalan followed by autologous stem cell rescue, especially in older patients with myeloma. Um, we had the, uh, I forget the name of it, there's a big paper published last year, which we talked about on the podcast, that really questioned the benefit. This adds more to that. And probably the, the, the most impactful, immediate results from this uh, for patients is that there is a, there was a study called the Neutro Diet, the Neutropenic Diet. And I, I talked about this in our Neutropenic Fever 101 episode. I'm pretty sure that you, you just, common sense rules the day here, I think. So this is the first randomized study that they, as they say, that looked at two different types of diet. A restrictive diet where the patients were not allowed yogurt or honey, cold cuts or sausages, no raw fish, no raw meat, no raw veggies, no fruit. And there were about, there were more than 200 people in this study. So one under each arm, decent sized study. Um, and then, so I guess that's the control arm, right? Like the strict neutropenic fever diet. Um, and then the, uh, the experimental arm was no raw fish and no raw meat. I'm good with no raw meat. I do enjoy sushi and living in a landlocked site like Tennessee, I probably should not. Uh, regardless, no differences in infections, no difference in graft versus host disease. No, maybe the people who had like the, the looser diet where they could eat uh, anything but sushi and, uh, uh, and steak tartare, uh, they maybe lost a little bit less weight compared to those who couldn't eat yogurt and honey uh, and, and sausage and things like that. Um, is it, and as you would guess, people who got to eat more foods that they like enjoy, you know, kind of enjoyed that better. Uh, so certainly something that I think we can start to bring to our patients uh, right away to, you know, if you're getting induction chemo or you're getting a, a transplant and you're, you're in and out of the hospital and doctor's offices, you know, give them what they want to eat. There's no evidence that being, having a restrictive diet helps them. And at this point, it's just kind of mean, I think, to do that. All right, so those are my uh, summary uh, of ASH 2022 from afar. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeatNib. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Doses matter.